turn with me to the book of Exodus in the 19th chapter, <clears throat> the book of Exodus in chapter 19. I did an outline for this session. It's blue. Color doesn't have anything to do with it, <laughs> but uh, it's there. You only need one page. There should be just one page of notes there for you. And um, again, we'll follow pretty much the same kind of outline, or at least the basic outline that we've been following and uh, that should help us. I've entitled the message for this morning or this study, The Glory of Preaching God's Glory. And so what we have here is something probably directed a little bit more toward uh, preachers and pastors. Um, I'm not, I didn't choose it because of that. I think it's just what we've got here when we consider the glory cloud and what's taking place with this facet. Remember last session, we went through the appearances of the cloud. There's about you know nine of those or so. We pulled out the ones that have to do with, glory, with guidance and leading. Okay, if you go back to that, you can pull out, for instance, this one and one other one that have to do with the subject of God using his glory for the purpose of revelation. Revealing himself to man through words and through a man, in this case, Moses, God's glory and revelation. Let's pray, and then we'll read several verses here. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity of looking into your word this morning again. We pray that you'll bless our time, give us clarity of thought, clarity of mind, and uh, might the Holy Spirit be able to uh, minister the word to our heart and encourage us today in our response to it. And we pray this in your Son's name. Amen. In Exodus 19, verse 1 and following, Israel has finally come to the Mount Sinai. They've left Egypt. Uh, the glory cloud led them in the wilderness, um, Red Sea, glory cloud led them, and now it's brought them down, and if we had a map here, they've come down, and now they're at the bottom of the Sinai Peninsula out Mount Sinai. So I'm going to read through the chapter, skipping along, basically just to save time, um, but you'll follow what's here. So Exodus 19, verse 1, in the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. Verse 14. And Moses went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, Be ready again the third day, come not at your wives. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that, they, that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the nether, or at the foot, of the mount. 
And Mount Sinai was all together uh, on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and the smoke thereof ascending as the smoke of a furnace and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai and on the top of the mount, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount, and Moses went up. Down to verse 25. So Moses went down unto the people and spake unto them. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods. Verse 4, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images. Verse 7, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And we're familiar, here are the Ten Commandments that the Lord has now given to the people. Verse 18, and all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for behold, or excuse me, fear not, for God is come to prove you that his fear may be before your faces that ye sin not. And the people stood afar off, and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was. And then skip over to chapter 24, and let me read three verses. Chapter 24, verse 16. And the glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days, and on the seventh day he called unto Moses out of the midst of the cloud. And the sight of the cloud, of the sight of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire on top of the mount in the eyes of the children of Israel. And Moses went up, or excuse me, Moses went into the midst of the cloud and got him up into the mount. And Moses was in the mount 40 days and 40 nights. It was some 60 years ago that the well-known Christian Missionary Alliance pastor A.W. Tozer wrote and published a slim little book entitled The Knowledge of the Holy. Many of you have probably read that. If you hadn't, it would be well worth your doing to purchase a copy and to read that. Very encouraging. In the opening pages of that book, Tozer provides some insight as to the purpose of his authoring it. And he writes, quote, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion. And man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. The most significant fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. 
a right conception of God is basic not only to systematic theology, but to practical Christian living as well. I believe, he's pretty dogmatic about this, I believe there is scarcely an error in doctrine or a failure in applying Christian ethics that cannot be traced finally to imperfect and ignoble thoughts about God. Now, if Tozer is right, then few statements could be as meaningful for Israel's time at Mount Sinai as Tozer's assessment. It is here under the leadership of Moses that God wishes to make himself known to his people. For several centuries, Israel has been lived under the influence of, the, of their Egyptian captors, and even though they have maintained a belief in God, there's no doubt that the belief, that belief has been tainted by the Egyptians' belief in a pantheon of gods. And so at the outset of Israel's freedom, God now seeks to make His true self known to His people so that a covenant can be established and, as Tozer said, they can have right thoughts about God. So in the time this morning, let's evaluate this occasion when God makes himself known to his people and when he uses Moses to communicate that revelation to their hearts and minds. And what we want to do is begin where we have with our other messages, and that is to examine, first of all, the incident itself. So just a couple of comments, first of all, about the context of Exodus 19, because that's where we're going to spend a good bit of our time. The context of Exodus 19. Exodus 19, 1 and 2 tell us that after leaving Egypt, Israel spent three months making its way down the western side of the Sinai Peninsula. And after traveling several hundred kilometers, they finally have arrived at Mount Sinai and they set up camp at the base of the mount. They're going to spend about a year here as God forms them into a nation, as He allows them to refresh and recover after decades of captivity. And most importantly, it's here that He's going to give them detailed guidelines and laws for establishing a covenant with Him including the sacrifices of the building of the tabernacle to mediate that covenant and things of that nature. Now, to receive and commune with God about all of that revelation concerning the covenant, Moses ascended to Mount Sinai several times during the year that the nation is here. Remember, they're here, but the tabernacle won't be completed till chapter 40 over nine months later. And so during those nine months, Moses ascended several... In fact, the book of Exodus indicates he ascended to that mount at least seven to eight times to receive instructions and to commune with God. Now, out of those seven or eight times, of course, our study of God's glory, we're only interested in the few cases when he ascended in connection with the appearance of the glory of God. And there were three of those, and they occur in Exodus 19 to Exodus 34. 
Let me just survey those three occasions by way of context for Exodus 19. Though the first occasion is actually Exodus 19 itself that we just read of. And almost immediately upon Israel's arrival at Mount Sinai, um, there was this display of God's glory on the mount when he uttered the Ten Commandments for the first time. But following the giving of those Ten Commandments, God had further covenant guidelines to give to Israel. So, in Exodus 24 to 31, Moses went up on the mount for 40 days. And when he went up there, he received further guidelines from God for Israel's covenant relationship with him. Those guidelines included, on this occasion, a written copy of the Ten Commandments. God had uttered them in Exodus 19 and the first part of 20 that we read. Now he's going to take two tablets of stone and he's actually going to write them down and give them to Moses. Of course, the problem is that when Moses came down from the mount and he found the golden calf incident, he took those tablets and he threw them down and broke them. You remember that? So, but to receive those tablets, Exodus 24, 15 to 18 tells us that Moses actually went up into, on the mountain, up into the cloud. And he stayed up there for 40 days. Came down, broke those tablets. God used him to straighten things out with the golden calf incident. And then in Exodus 34, there's a third occasion of God's glory appearing to Moses, and it's on this second occasion that Moses went now a second time up to the mount for 40 days. And what's remarkable, I don't, I don't, this may be true of the first occasion, it doesn't say that, but of the second occasion, what's remarkable is it says that Moses went up there and he was miraculously sustained by God without partaking of any food or water for 40 days. That's remarkable, but God miraculously sustained the man. And while he was up there, God gave him the Ten Commandments again on tablets of stone, and it was on this occasion that he came down, and at the end, his face shone, and he had to wear a veil before the people. So three of those nine occasions that I mentioned in our last session, three of them involved this Moses going up into the glory cloud to receive revelation from God concerning the people and their covenant with Him. We're going to focus on the first occasion here in Exodus 19. And what I'd like to do at this point, again, just by way of background and context, and, keep this in mind, and to give us a view of God's use of Moses to give that revelation to the people. Moses goes up there and speaks to God face to face. And then he comes down and he gives the revelation to the people. I want you to notice as we go through Exodus 19, very briefly, I want you to notice God's use of Moses to do that very thing. Now, what you'll need to do, I've got it all here in my notes, but what you'll need to do is take your Bible 
And even just, we're not going to read this, but even just visually follow the verses I show you, because in this chapter, Moses is going to go up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down about three or four times, gaining revelation and then speaking to the people. For instance, the first time Moses ascended the mountain is in verses 3 through 6. Verse 3 says, And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, Tell the children of Israel, and God goes on. It's on this occasion that God communed with Moses alone as he informed Moses of his desire to dwell with his people through a covenant relationship. So if you skip visually down to verses 7 and 8, you'll notice that Moses went back down the mountain to inform the people of what God had said. And the people eagerly received those words and agreed to obey what God had commanded. So at the end of verse 8, Moses went back up the mountain and returned the words of the people to God. He went back up the mountain to tell God the people will will receive your words and they want to obey and they want to follow you. God then replied in verse 9 by conveying to Moses that he was God's, that Moses, God told Moses in verse 9, Moses, you are my anointed spokesman. Look what verse 9 says. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. And then Moses goes back down the mountain to tell the people again what God has said. But here in verse... Here in verse number 9, God says he will speak audibly to Moses in such a way that the people themselves will hear him speak to Moses. You see that in verse 9? Moses, lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak to you. God's going to talk to Moses, but he's going to do it audibly in such a way that the people can actually hear God talk to Moses. So with that word, Moses descended the mountain and reported to the people what God had said. But in verses 10 to 13, God has Moses ascend to the mountain a third time, and this time he tells Moses to consecrate the people, you remember, and set boundaries around the mountain because he's going to make an appearance. So in verses 14 to 19, Moses descended the mountain and goes, you know, does as God instructed him. And then on the third day in verse 17, he tells, it tells us that Moses led the people to the foot of the mountain to meet with God. But note verse 19. Notice what verse 19 says. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake and God answered him, by a voice. Now that's what God said back in verse 9 he was going to do. 
Now, God has been speaking to Moses. Moses would go up in the cloud and God would commune with him and talk with him. And then Moses would come down. But God says, now, I'm going to talk in such a way, okay, you can talk to me and I'm going to answer you, verse 19, and God's going to speak in such a way that the people are able to hear and know that all of this revelation, all, let me put it in common vernacular, that all of this stuff Moses is telling him is not things that he just made up. Moses didn't just get this idea when he was up there on the mountain, up high, you know. The atmosphere's a bit thin up there. Oxygen's not so good. Moses got these crazy ideas up there about building this tent with this altar and all of these things. No, God wants the people to know. Now, they, as far as I can tell, didn't hear all of that later in the book. But at the outset, he wants to know, that he wants the people to know that God is, that, that I am communing with Moses and what he's giving to you are my words. Don't have any other gods before me. Moses didn't make that up. He wants the people to know that. You honor the Lord's day. That's not something that Moses dreamt up. God wants the people to know that Moses is receiving this from himself. So in verses 20 to 23, for a fourth time, God calls Moses up to the top of the mount in order again to advise the people not to break through because some of them might be tempted to. You know how people are. And God's up there and he's talking up there and I wonder what God actually looks like. Apparently that's the thinking of some of the people. And they'd break through and they would try to go up there. Well, you know what's going to happen to them. Later on in Exodus, no man can see God and live. And of course, God is also not just trying to protect their life, but also to display that he is a majestic, holy God. And you just can't, you know, you know kind of bounce into his presence. So, in verses 20 to 24, Moses descends and conveys God's warning to the people not to break through the barriers or else they will perish. And now, as Moses, folks, is at the foot of the mountain in verse 25, as Moses is at the foot of the mountain with the people, God speaks. Audibly, and out of the thunder and smoke and lightning, God speaks. And he delivers to the people for the first time the Ten Commandments. Look at verse 25. So Moses went down unto the people and spake unto them. And God spake all these words. And then God gave to them the Ten Commandments. And you can only imagine that scene, folks, all of this visual phenomena, lightning, smoke, clouds, you know, smoke ascending as a furnace, all of this visual phenomena up there. And as the people are standing there, the ground actually begins to tremble under them, the Bible says. And then as they're, here, they're there with the ground trembling and all of that visual display, there's the voice of God. 
And God says to the people, don't you have any other gods before me? Now picture that up there in the mountain. Here they're standing there. And the voice comes and says, don't you have any other gods before me? And don't make unto yourselves any graven images. And you honor my day. And don't lie and don't steal and don't murder people. That would have been an awesome scene. No wonder the people came back in chapter 20, verse 18. And when the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, and when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, but we, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. Um, you can only imagine all of that visual phenomena up there on the mountain, the ground, and the people get the impression, yes, this is. Remember our awe? The people are awed. And they say to Moses, you talk to us. Because if God does, we will die. And so Moses comes back in verses 20 and 21 and says, look, don't be afraid. God is trying to prove you and that his fear may be before your faces lest ye, that ye sin not. Awe, remember our little statement, awe? Affecting your behavior. God is proving you to find out if you're going to sin or not or you're going to obey him. And the people stood afar off, and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was. And then the people watch. If you continue on, um, you continue on. Then the people watch as Moses ascended back up into the mountain. It's not initially apparent in verse number 21 of Exodus 20 and 22, but Moses ascended back up into the mountain. The people watched that as Moses went back up into the thick darkness and the manifest presence of God. Apparently, the thunder and lightning had stopped and transitioned to this darkness, and the people saw Moses ascend into it, and he receives then additional, all the way over to chapter, about chapter 31, he receives additional laws and instructions remaining there until chapter 23, verse 33, when he then ascended, came down, then went back up in verses chapter 24 to 31, and God has summoned him back to the mountain and gave him the pattern for the building of the tabernacle. Now, we went through that fairly quickly, and I don't know, for some people, history is a little bit dry. How'd you do in school? Did you do well in history when you went to school? I don't know. A lot of people don't. I didn't, to my shame. Um, but there's that background. Moses going up, talking to God, coming down, telling the people. Moses going up, talking to God coming down and telling the people. Finally, the people with all of this phenomena says, Moses, you talk to us. Because, you know, there's this fear of God. Now, with that in mind, let's look at four key interpretive points, drawing from all of that, and then we're going to be able to make our application to ourselves. The first key interpretive point to note from what we just went over is that God wants to manifest himself by giving his people his words, the Ten Commandments. 
In the first place, those Ten Commandments form the basis of the covenant with Israel. They give a succinct form of what God requires of them. But far greater than that, and some of you are aware of this, folks, far greater than that, those ten words were a revelation of God's very character. Those commands were God making himself known to his people by revealing his character to them. And in that sense, they coincide with Exodus 34, verses 6 to 7, and God's name and his goodness and his glory. You are aware in Scripture that God reveals Himself to us, of course, what? By a variety of means. Sometimes He directly tells us what He is like. Or sometimes He gives us names and titles for Himself that illustrate His nature. Sometimes He displays His attributes in creation in the lives of people. He reveals Himself his character and nature to us in a variety of ways. But one of the ways he does that is by through the demands that he places on us. And those laws are a revelation of certain aspects of his character. His exclusivity and uniqueness. His immensity and infiniteness. His veracity and truthfulness. His wisdom and being a God of love and kindness. His sovereignty as the one who gives and takes life. These are a revelation of the character of God. They reveal His nature of who He is and what He's like. In other words, folks, when God speaks in His Word, anywhere in His Word, Old or New Testament, epistles or psalms, narratives or prophecies, wherever God speaks, He's revealing Himself and making Himself known so that His people can learn of His character and glory so they can imitate Him and be transformed into His likeness. Christ said that. If I be lifted up, I can draw men to my, him Myself. Not just in salvation, folks, but in sanctification of growing to have the character of Christ. And all throughout the Bible, page after page after page, God is revealing Himself to us so that we might be transformed into His likeness and take on His glory. 2 Corinthians 3.18 Beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, you're changed from glory to glory by the Spirit of God. And this is what God is doing here at Mount Sinai. He's establishing a covenant with them, yes, but in doing that, He's revealing Himself so that His people intimately know Him so that He can dwell among them and so they purpose to follow and imitate Him. And this is a key component in understanding what's taking place in this incident. It is this, folks, that God is manifesting Himself to His people through words. He's manifesting Himself to His people through words, through the verbal manifestation of His character. Exodus 34. This is a key component here. Now, that leads to a second key point, and that's this, that God's giving of His ten words is accompanied by a terrifying, 
yet majestic display of His glory. God's giving of His words is accompanied by a terrifying yet majestic display of His glory. And you can see that in Exodus 19, verses 16 to 19. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderers and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. Notice the response of the people. They trembled. I would too. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the nether part, or the, or the foot of the mountain. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long, and, and, and it got louder and louder and louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered. Picture that, folks, in your imagination. You've got thunder and lightning, this loud rumbling and cracks of thunder punctuated with streaks of lightning. Then there's a thick cloud on the mount, the thick cloud of darkness. Then there's this sound of a trumpet which just gets louder and louder and louder. And then the whole top of the mount was engulfed in smoke, smoke that billowed upward like a furnace. There was this appearance of fire. And as if that was not enough, as Israel viewed all of this, the earth beneath them began to quake. I've never been in an earthquake. But you can imagine, all of this is going on. And then the, you're, already, you're already back in verse 16, trembling. And then the earth begins to tremble beneath your feet. Visually, you're not only visually seeing God's glory, now you're feeling it. And all of that is for a purpose. Here is one of the most awesomely terrifying displays of divine power that anyone has ever experienced. All of the forces and powers of nature engulf the mountain, lightning and thunder and darkness and smoke and fire and an earthquake. However, folks, there's more here than, there's more here in this than the forces of nature or even a display of God's power in nature. If you go over with me to Deuteronomy 5, 22 to 24, there's nothing, there's, there's, a, there's a real revelation here as to what's going on. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 22 to 24. Look what it says. Now you know Deuteronomy 5, okay? Because here we have a second giving of the Ten Commandments. Verse 7, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Verse 8, thou shalt not make thee any graven images, nor bow down. Verse 11, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord in vain. Here's a, here's a giving of the law again. So at the end of that, here's what we've got, verse 22. These words, the Ten Commandments... These words the Lord spake unto all your assembly in the mount out of the midst of the fire. God's talking to them out of the fire and out of that cloud. These words the Lord spake unto your assembly in the mount out of the midst of the fire and of the cloud and of the thick darkness. With a, with a great voice God spoke. And he added no more. 
Then he wrote them in two tables of stone and delivered them unto me. First 40 days. And it came to pass when ye heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, for the mountain did burn with fire, that ye came near unto me, even all the heads of your tribes and your elders, and ye said, Behold, the Lord our God has showed us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God doth talk with man, and he liveth. You can see, folks, what, again, what God is doing here. This is nothing less than a visual and audible display of God's glory and his majesty. Now, there's two reasons why God displayed his glory this way. In other words, back in verse chapter 19, it tells us there was this lightning and smoke and fire and all of this, but it doesn't say there that it was his glory. Here it identifies it as his glory. Why did God, why did God identify himself with this kind of glory? This is a lot different than Ezekiel seeing the radiance and the brightness. This is even different than being led by the cloud of fire and the pillar of cloud. Now the cloudy pillar is just, whoo, just has just exploded, so to speak. And it's trembling beneath our feet. And as God does that, he gives us the Ten Commandments. So what do you think God is doing? Well, number one, he did this visually to express the nature of the law that Moses was delivering to impress upon them the gravity of his words that were being delivered. Don't take my words lightly. Don't just pass them off in one ear and out the other. You see what God's doing? The gravity of his words. And he did this visually as a fearful manifestation of his presence to reveal something about the awesomeness and the significance of his presence with people. And that leads then right to the third point. So how did the people respond to this? You got what's going on? Number one, God is revealing himself to his people through words. And then he accompanies those words with a visual display of his glory. Exodus 34, Ezekiel 1, keep, keep that in mind. And now thirdly, there's the response of the people. And there are two responses that are indicated in the text. Number one, awe or fear. And this repeatedly shows up. For instance, back in nine, chapter 19, verse 16, I pointed this out earlier that the camp, at the end of the verse, the camp trembled. In chapter 24, or excuse me, chapter 20, verse 18, the people stood afar off. They stood at a safe distance. And in chapter 20, verses 19 to 20, they were afraid they would die. Did you know that Hebrews 12, 21 tells us that even Moses was afraid and trembled? You read it. Hebrews 12, 21. Even Moses is afraid and trembles. And he's the guy mediating all of this. 
This is an awesome scene that's happening here. The gravity, I mean, the, the immense, the, God's presence and the gravity of his words. God is serious. We better get serious. There was this awe or fear, and then there was a commitment to obeying his words. Chapter 19, verse 8, other references in Deuteronomy 5, you're familiar with that. The people would come back and say, all the words of the Lord we will do. All in obedience. Remember our little statement? God's glory is the outward manifestation of his presence for the purpose of creating awe in the eyes and hearts of the beholder in order to affect their behavior. And that's what's happening here. The outward manifestation of his presence, not radiance and brightness, not a cloud going before, even settling on the tabernacle, the outward manifestation of his presence, fire and smoke and lightning and thunders and earthquaking, the outward manifestation of his presence to create awe in the eyes and hearts of the beholder. And the camp trembled and they stood afar off and they said, Moses, you talk to God lest we die. And Moses gives them the words and they says, okay, we'll obey everything God says. And see what's happening here with these people. But there's a fourth component. The fourth component is this one in Exodus 20, verses 18 to 19. And it's this, God gave his words to his people through a spokesman. Through a mouthpiece, through a representative, through a herald. New Testament, through a herald. And folks, Moses was that man. He was God's herald. And Deuteronomy 25, verses 22 to 24, confirms that. Look what it says. Deuteronomy 25, Deuteronomy 25, really verses 22 through 28. Got to go all the way over to Deuteronomy. 25, 22 to 28. Well, excuse me, it's not Deuteronomy 25. It's Deuteronomy 5. <laughs> I got a 2 in there. Look at Deuteronomy 5, 22. We read the first couple verses before, but I'm going to read them again. These words of the Lord, these words the Lord spake unto all your assembly in the mount out of the midst of the fire and of the cloud and of the thick darkness with a great voice, and he added no more. And he wrote them in two tables of stone and delivered them unto me. Moses talking here, and it came to pass when ye heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, for the mountain did burn with fire. 
that ye came near unto me, even all the heads of your tribes and your elders, and ye said, Behold, the Lord our God hath showed us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God doth talk with man, and he liveth. Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. This is what the people are thinking while they're seeing all of this. This great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, then we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that hath heard the voice of the living God speak out of the midst of the fire as we have and lived? Now notice what they said to him. Go thou near and hear all that the Lord our God shall say and speak thou unto us all that the Lord our God shall speak unto thee and we will hear it and do it. And the Lord heard the voice of your words when ye spake unto me. And the Lord said unto me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people which they have spoken unto thee. They have well said all that they have spoken. And that included the people saying to Moses, you go talk to God and then you come back and tell us what the Lord said. And God said they have well spoken. All of the people heard God's voice, but it was on Moses the responsibility fell to declare and explain those words to the people. No wonder that at his death, Deuteronomy 34.10 states of Moses, there arose not a prophet since Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. There's not been a prophet like Moses. Moses, folks, was God's herald, his spokesman, through whom God made himself known to his people. God wanted to reveal himself to his people through his words. But to impress upon them the gravity of that, there was this visual display of his glory. And the people responded, um, We'll do it, but don't, you know, make, have Moses talk. And so God said, okay, Moses will be my mouth. Moses will be my spokesman. Now, what are we to make of that? Well, I want to expand on that fourth component by way of application because God, for centuries, has still been trying to make himself known. He's still been, according to Tozer, trying to correct people's ignoble thoughts of him. And one of the ways he does that is by calling men to stand in a pulpit like this and say, this is what God is like. And this is what he requires. The fact is, folks, that every New Testament believer can read and study God's word on his own and have God minister the word to their heart. That is true. 
The Old Testament saints needed a mediator, but under the New Covenant, we can approach God on our own and profit from a personal Bible study. But there's also this, Titus 1.3. Look there with me. There is this, folks. There is Titus 1.3. Look here at the words of God. Verse 1, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, verse 2, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his words, his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. God in due times manifested his word through preaching. Preaching is nothing less than God making his word known. It's nothing less than God manifesting or revealing his mind and his character to men. On Mount Sinai, Moses taught the people what God had given him up there in the cloud. And according to this verse, the end of this verse, God is still calling men to do that. However, there's actually a whole sequence of activity by which God has made himself known through words, and preaching is only one step in that sequence. The first step is just revelation itself. Revelation is, is simply the act of God whereby he makes himself known. And God has done this in general through creation, but more specifically through supernatural means, one of which is God placing his word into the minds of men. That is what's behind the many times in the Old Testament when it says, quote, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel or Haggai. God placing his words into the minds of men, his thoughts, his revelation. But how do those words get transferred into the minds of other men? Well, God had those men, those first men, write those words down, and that is what we call number two, inspiration. There's revelation and there's inspiration. Men writing down those words just as God breathed them out. And we're all familiar with 2 Timothy 3.16 and 2 Peter 1.20-21 that describes the process of God inscripturating those words. Now those words are being transferred to the minds of other men to man in manuscript form. Documents written in Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek. But how are those words to be disseminated to the world, particularly to parts of it where people don't know Aramaic, Hebrew, and Greek? 
That's the third step in the sequence. God making his words known through translation. And while we're holding in our hands this morning English translations of those words, the fact is that for centuries there has been this ongoing work by dedicated individuals of putting those words into other languages and dialects and tongues, like German and French and Spanish, or more recently, Pidgin and Bishlam and Tagalog. Revelation and inspiration and translation, but there's one more step proclamation the preaching of God's words men standing up as heralds and teaching and proclaiming and exhorting other people through those translations doing what Paul told to Timothy to do preach the word and I still remember what the preacher said 40 years ago must have been what are the words? Preach the word? What was Paul telling him to do? Preach the black things on that white page. That's what preaching is. Heralding those black things. Taking those things and explaining them and illustrating them and exhorting people with them and applying them, but you're just giving to people the words, the word. Of God. And though I've already implied it, Titus 1.3, the end of the verse indicates that God is still calling and gifting men to do this very thing. So if God called you to preach, then you are just one step in the process of God making his mind known to man. God did revelation. And he did inspiration, and he did translation, and now there's proclamation. God attempting to make himself known to people through words. However, just because a man stands in a pulpit like this, and even has a Bible in front of him, and talks for 30 minutes, doesn't mean that's actually happening. There are two things that are needful in order for a man to stand, a preacher to stand, and make known the things of God. The first one is this. The preacher must cut straight the words. He's got to cut straight the black things on that page. And that's what 2 Timothy 2.15 says. Look at that. Just back one page in my Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. What does it say? Paul, writing to Timothy, the preacher at Ephesus, says to the man, he's not talking to a young Christian, he's talking to Timothy, the preacher, and he says, Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And here is Paul admonishing Timothy that he is to be diligent to present himself approved unto God. And the way Timothy is to do that as a preacher is to rightly divide, or the words mean to cut straight the word of God. Now, the term for cut straight is actually a familiar one to us. 
It is the term we get the word ortho from, O-R-T-H-O. Ortho means upright or straight. And therefore, an orthodontist is one who straightens your teeth. And orthopedics has to do with the skeletal structure and correcting deformities. And orthodoxy has to do with a straight or right opinion of God. And here, Paul tells Timothy to orthotomao, to cut straight the word of God. In other words, the preacher is to be a faithful expositor when he studies the Bible, and then when he stands and preaches that passage, he is to say exactly what God said. It's not going to do any good. In fact, Moses will have his life in jeopardy if he goes up to the mount into the cloud of glory and comes down and changes the message on the way down. God's not going to be happy with the man. And the people won't receive what God wants them to know. Now, Moses didn't have to worry about cutting straight the word of God. Because he's getting the words from God face to face. And he's up there for 40 days. And I'm assuming that if he had any questions about what God said, he could ask God. He's up there for 40 days. But we have a written word. And although it is inspired, it was written in a different setting than what we're in. Different languages, different cultures, different customs, different periods of time, different political and sociological issues. So to cut it straight, the faithful expositor must take the time and expend the energy to work through the history and the grammar and the translation and the argumentation in a passage so that he discerns the one message, the one message that God has in that passage. Now, what that's going to take is what G. I think it was G. Campbell Morgan said this, what that's going to take is a sweating of the brain. <laughs> and the old preacher I grew up under said, what you also need to do sometimes, because the brain doesn't like to sweat, is you need to get some glue and put it on the seat of the chair in your study and sit yourself down and stay there. Because we can get up and get a cup of coffee. I, don't, I like having a cup of coffee, I say, but we can get up and get one cup and get two cups and get three cups. And then while we're getting a cup, oh, I better check my email to make sure somebody didn't write me. So we check that. Um, and then we have to, you know, then we got to go get a tissue to blow our nose. And, and, and then someone knocks on, and then the phone rings. And we can spend all morning doing these little tasks instead of just sitting there and cutting straight the Word of God. And folks, if that happens and we don't cut straight the Word of God accurately, then people don't learn what God wants them to know. They don't learn about God. But folks, listen to this. Here is the joy of cutting straight the Word of God. When a preacher rightly divides the Word of Truth... He gives God a voice. He gives God a voice. Or as one Bible student put it, this is what gives preaching its glory. It cuts straight the word so God can speak.
Isn't that what Moses was doing? When you cut straight the word, you allow God to speak. And folks, this is when God is truly able to manifest His word and character. This is when people truly come face to face with God and are able to hear His glory verbalized. They've seen His glory in the providential workings around them during the week. Now they get to hear someone interpret those providential workings and verbalize the glory of God. And folks, when that happens, when a preacher cuts straight the word of God, when he says what God actually says, that is when, and I'm taking these words from one of the resources, that is when God's view of God, that's when people's view of God gets straightened out. That is when people get Tozer's right view and conception of God. God manifests his word and mind and character through preaching. And so when a preacher cuts straight that word and what God has revealed about himself, that's when people get an accurate view of God and when their incorrect thoughts of him are corrected and straightened out. So Timothy, don't handle the word of God carefully or whimsically. Timothy, if you're going to make God known through your preaching, then cut straight the Bible when you study it. And somewhere over the years I picked up this little statement from someone else that says to the degree that a preacher has accurately cut straight the word, to that degree he's delivering the very words of God and delivering the right conception of God's glory. To the degree that the preacher cuts straight the word is the degree to which people really get to know God. No wonder... No wonder Isaiah cried, Woe is me, for I am undone. Who is worthy of these things? But building on that, folks, there's a second thing that is needful if a man's preaching is to make God's word known. And if he is to give people an accurate conception of God, there's something else that's needed. When he preaches, when he proclaims that word, he must speak as the oracles of God. 1 Peter 4, go over there with me. He must not only cut straight the word, but he must speak as the oracles of God. 1 Peter 4.11, let's start there. As every man hath received the gift, spiritual gift, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister... Let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Here is one of five New Testament passages in which spiritual gifts are addressed. And in those passages, there are 19 to 20 different spiritual gifts listed. And here in 1 Peter... They're grouped into two categories, 
all the spiritual gifts grouped into categories. Speech gifts and nonverbal or manual gifts. Now, what we're interested are the speech gifts and how they are to be used. And this verse tells us that whoever speaks is to do so as the oracles, what are called the oracles of God. He's to do it as the, let me use another word, he's to do it as the utterances of God. And folks, what's interesting about this term is that it is not just referring to the content of what he says. This term is addressing, it is really addressing the man himself and how he sees himself. He is to view himself and people are to view himself as the very utterance of God. As if it was God speaking. That doesn't mean the man becomes God. And there's a fine knife edge here. That if you fall this way, then you go into heresy. But God says, the Holy Spirit says, this man is to speak as the utterance of God. Not that he gives what God said. That's not what the word means. It means that he speaks as the voice of God. He understands that he himself is the utterance of God in that hour. So he speaks with authority, with boldness, with confidence, and with insistence. As one of the resources said, out of the pulpit he's humble and meek and unassertive. But in the pulpit he's authoritative and dogmatic and unashamed in what he says. And he's not here saying to people, would you turn to such and such a passage? I'd like to share with you five things that I learned today. As if we're all seated around a campfire. And let me share a little bit and I'll share a little bit of this. He's not there sharing. He's there as the voice of God. God wants to make himself known to people. And Titus 1.3 says he does that through preaching. And so God is able... Maybe I should say this is what gives a man confidence that he can stand and say, thus saith the Lord. So for God to be able to manifest himself through preaching, the preacher must both cut straight the word and speak as the oracles of God. And the people, remember the affect your behavior? We won't expand on this, folks, but the people then are to receive it as 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says, not as the words of men, but as the very word of God. It is God's word to them. Now, this is the glory, folks, this is the glory of preaching God's glory. It is bringing people face to face with God. It is to pull back the veil and usher men and women into the very presence of God so they see His glory, are awed at His majesty, and then cry out, All He says we will do. I doubt there could be a greater statement made about Moses than when up there on the mount there was this thundering and lightning and smoke and fire and the ground trembled. And the Bible says in Exodus 19.17 that, quote, Moses brought the people forth to meet with God. Moses, the herald and intercessor of God's words and glory, bringing people face to face with God. 
And when we preach, lightning may not fall and the ground may not tremble. But if we cut straight the word and speak as the oracles of God, the blessing of God will fall and our prayer is that men would tremble and reverence and joy would be the prospect that comes to their heart of hearing from God. So, my brethren, climb the mount, enter the cloud, live in the glory. And when you descend the mount from your time with God, may your face glow with that glory. And men, may men say, speak to us that we may hear the voice of God. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity this morning of considering a portion of your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have chosen to manifest yourself to us. And we pray, Lord, that we would not simply take the words that we've heard today, but the words we hear tomorrow, the words we learn on Thursday and Friday and Sunday and a year from now, we would take these words and learn of you that we might be changed from glory to glory into your likeness. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.